Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Hear now the word of God. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee, and he left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Exactly right. There was this young woman ending high school and wanted to go to college. It was her plan, and she had excellent grades, good extracurriculars, and she had already picked out the school she wanted to attend. Just the one school. She knew she would qualify her grades, the extracurriculars, so she just had the one school. And she worked hard on the application questions, the essays, hours and days and weeks, and when she was ready, she sent it all in. But when she finally got a letter back, thank you for your interest, unfortunately, Well, that was the school she wanted to go to. That was the one school. So she got a job, and for a year she worked and made money. And as application season rolled back around, she tackled those questions even harder than before. She wrote so many drafts of her application essay that they filled a trash can. And when she was ready, she sent it all in. And when she got a letter back, thank you for your interest. Unfortunately, three years she applied. Three years in a row, and after her third rejection, well, she took off work, and she got in her car, and she drove herself to the admission office, and she walked in and demanded to speak with someone, asked them to pull up her file. Did you find it? Yes, ma'am. I I actually reviewed your file myself. Well, was the problem my GPA? No, your GPA was excellent. Then it was the questions. Which of the questions did I mess up on? None of them. Your answers were great. They were practically perfect. So it was the essay. The problem was my essay because I was sure that essay was graduate school level writing. I am sure of it. No, ma'am. Your essay was also excellent. None of that was the problem. Well, then what was it? Three years in a row. Three years in a row I've applied and been rejected every time. What is your problem with me? And the staff member replied, ma'am. 
Three years in a row, you've sent your application in after the deadline. I read it myself because you send it every year, but it's never even been considered for admission. That's a story about how sometimes the only thing that matters is the timing. You probably already know, but Jesus waited 30 years to begin his ministry. But he actually waited a bit longer than that. Because here in Matthew, Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And then if you really read verse 12, it says that Jesus left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea. He made his home there. He lived there for a while. So Jesus waits 30 years to be baptized. And then he waits 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And then he waits until John the Baptist was arrested. And then he settles down and lives in Capernaum for a while. And only after all of that do we get verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That feels weird, right? That's the whole reason Jesus came. To bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, to do the preaching and the teaching and the proclaiming. But he waits. He waits a really long time. And there's clearly a sequence and order that things are supposed to happen. Because imagine all the opportunities he had to preach and teach before this moment. 30 years of opportunities. There must have been a million moments where he wanted to stand up and say, Listen, I haven't announced it yet, but I'm God's son. I am the Messiah. I can be helpful in this moment. I can handle this. I can heal you. I have a new truth, and this truth will set you free. And how many countless opportunities did he watch go by? Not that he did nothing, but he didn't do this. He didn't start preaching and teaching until this moment. Because the timing matters. We aren't told why this was the moment. Maybe it's something if Jesus had started preaching before he was baptized, people might have thought it was his own power. It was his own brilliance. It was his own wisdom. But he says again and again and again that this is all from the Father. This is from God. Jesus is like us. He's just human flesh and blood with fears and uncertainties. The gospel is from God, so he waits. He waits until after he's baptized so people will understand. Maybe it's something with waiting until after the temptation in the wilderness because he'll be tempted in his ministry. He'll be tempted by the fame, tempted by the desire to just fix it all so he doesn't have to die. So first, he has to wait so the devil can tempt him and the Spirit can provide, and then he's ready to face it all with God at his side. Maybe something with John the Baptist being arrested. Who knows? Maybe Jesus would have been arrested as well, and he, he couldn't be arrested yet because he had to explain to the disciples that I'm going to die, then I'm going to be resurrected. It's all part of the plan. If he doesn't have the time to preach, the timing mattered. The timing mattered. And this waiting, it isn't a one-time thing in the Bible. God has Israel wander in the desert for 40 years. 
A whole generation dies before they can enter the promised land because the timing mattered. And, and when that army gets to Jericho, God tells them to parade around the city for six days. Six days God is doing something he never explains. For six days you march around, and on the seventh day, whatever God was doing was ready. And they march around the city seven times, and then the walls crumble and fall. Do you know when God first promises to send a Messiah? We actually pretty much have the year. The prophet Isaiah, sometime around the year 740 B.C. And then Jeremiah a few years later. And then 200 years later, Ezekiel promises again. And then 100 years later, Malachi promises again. And then from that promise, it's another 450 years. A 750-year wait for the promise. Don't you wonder why? I don't know. We could talk about reasons, the political climate, technologies that allowed the gospel to spread faster and easier, but in the end, all we can say is the timing mattered, and God chose the right time. When Jesus begins preaching the Gospel of Mark, remember that he started by saying, the time is fulfilled, the time is full, and the kingdom of God is at hand, and he repent and believe in the Gospel. The time is fulfilled. And Jesus was saying, this is the opportune moment, this is the right time that God has been waiting for. Because God's perspective on time is from outside looking in. God can see when is the moment. Do you think it was hard for Jesus to wait? For 30 years, and then 40 days, and then however long he lived in Capernaum? Do you think it was hard for him to wait to be right there? To be born to do a thing and to not be able to do it? I have to imagine all the countless moments where he wanted to preach and to reveal himself as the Messiah, to put out his hand and heal people, to forgive. And how many moments did he want to stand up and say, repent and believe the kingdom of God has come near? But his father said, wait. Wait. It's not yet time. You know, John the Baptist wasn't just Jesus' friend. John the Baptist was his cousin. How badly did Jesus want to march to the palace and confront King Herod and say, Listen, I am the judgment of God. You can let my cousin go right now. But his father said, Wait. Wait. It's not yet time. A friend showed me this comedy bit. Two characters, and one of them is an actor pretending to be from off. Did I use it correctly? Yes. <laughs> she told me no preposition. And the other is a real-life comedy coach who has no idea that this whole thing is a joke on him. So he thinks they're making some kind of show, and he's teaching this actor, who's pretending to be from off, how to tell a joke. And the comedy coach, decides to teach him a not joke. 
And a not joke is where you say something that is obviously not true, and then you wait a second, and then you say not. For example, Presbyterians are known for being spontaneous. Not. Not. <laughs> so the comedy coach explains it to the actor and then demonstrates using the example of a shirt. And I'd just like to walk you, this is what actually happens. So the comedy coach doesn't know. He explains it all and then demonstrates, this shirt is black, not. Now, you try. And the actor does. This shirt is not black. No, no, the not has to come at the end. That's what makes it funny. The order matters. This shirt is black. Not. Oh, okay. This shirt is black, not. No, you need a pause before you say not. I've got it. This shirt is black. Pause, not. No, you don't, you don't say pause. Pause, it just means you're not talking. So you'd say, this shirt is black. That's a pause. Not. Okay. This shirt is black. And the comedy coach gives up. Never mind, let's just not. <laughs> The timing is the only thing that matters. The timing is the only thing that matters. You can use all the right words. You can even use them in the right order. The only thing that matters is the timing. At this church retreat we were at last weekend, there was a morning and evening worship session each day, songs, a sermon, and prayer. And then after the morning session, all 600 of us went upstairs to have lunch. And the director made an announcement he asked that half the group, those who'd been assigned, wait for 15 minutes before going upstairs for lunch. And the other half could go up right away, and tomorrow we would switch. And the first day, we're in the group that waits. So we wait, and 15 minutes we hang out and we talk, and then we go up, and there's hardly any line, the food is ready, it's perfect. And the second day, we're the group that gets to go up first, and we're very excited. So we go right up and quickly discover that no one has waited. There weren't so much lines as a mass of youth and adults shoving their way forward toward the buffet. And what happened was the lines actually took longer. The kitchen staff had staggered the food, so the food ran out, which meant grumpy people ended up standing in the front of the line for 15 minutes, waiting for more beef for the tacos. And the staff is running back and forth, literally sweating, trying to get things out of the kitchen on time. It's almost as though the timing mattered. <laughs> almost as though the staff knew something that we didn't, that it would be better for everyone if half of us waited. But because the group that was supposed to wait decided that the timing wouldn't really matter or wouldn't make a difference, the whole thing just fell apart. The timing matters. Someone should have told the second group, wait, <laughs> wait, it's not yet time. Some of us, some of us can see that the future has something for us, and we don't want to wait. Some teenagers want to be adults now. Can I get an amen? <laughs> oh. 
I didn't realize that would work. <laughs> they want to be independent from their parents now. So they stop listening to them preemptively, right? They stop listening now. They stop following their parents' rules now. Eddie the barber on the square has a sign in his shop and it says, Teenagers, act now. Get a job, move out, and make your own decisions while you still know everything. <laughs> it's tempting. It's tempting. They see the thing that's coming and they want it now. But God says, wait. Wait. It's not yet time. You're not ready for the thing I will call you to do. You're not ready to make all those decisions alone, to manage your time alone, to handle all that life will give you alone. So slow down, because it's better to be ready when the time comes. Wait. Wait. It's not yet time. I imagine you'll find yourself in, in one of two camps that are both represented conveniently in my marriage. I find it remarkably easy to wait. I can wait to make a decision. I wasn't in a rush to get engaged. I knew we would do it at some point, so what's the hurry? I knew where we were headed. I could look at houses for a year or two before choosing. I have no problem waiting for the next episode of a show to come out. But this comfort with waiting, it can lead to missing the opportunity when it arrives. Because when it arrives, I find that I'm still showering and putting my shoes on, I'm still getting ready. Or when it arrives, I'm perfectly content for the next time that it rolls around. And by the time I'm ready, the moment is gone. My wife is... Uh, She's the opposite. <laughs> she hates waiting. She would rather wait until all the episodes of a show are released so she doesn't have to wait week to week, I see some nodding on that, to wait for the next one. She checks the mail before the mailwoman has even come to the house, even though she knows when the mailwoman comes to the house, because she doesn't want to have to wait until after the mailwoman has come to the house to check for the mail. When the moment comes, my wife tends to be ready. Her temptation is she doesn't always want to wait for the moment to arrive. When the moment comes, we need to be ready. But until the moment comes, our call is to wait. Jesus waited for 30 years and then 40 days of temptation and then he moved to Capernaum and waited and we don't know for how long. But when it was time, when God told him, now is the time, then it says Jesus began to preach. So this morning I'm asking, what time is it? This morning I'm asking you, what time is it? I'm not entirely sure in your life. But I can tell you that the time that matters isn't 11.47 a.m. It might be time to wait, time to prepare for what is coming. It might be time to act, to do as God has called. But there's only one way to know what time it is, and that's by listening to God. No matter what season we're in, we have to listen 
Wait. Wait. It's not yet time. What time is it in your life? What are you called to right now? What time is it? Let's pray. Lord, you see our lives. You see how many things we have going on. You see how some of us rush to be done before the moment arrives. You see how some of us are happy to wait, hoping another moment will come. You see how we're so busy and frantic that, God, we don't stop. We don't listen to you. What time is it? So now, if we are called to wait, if this is a season of waiting, open our eyes to what we're waiting for. Would you give us assurances that the thing we want to happen, the thing that we need, Lord, that you are doing a work and that a time is coming. Would you give us courage and hope? Give us patience and comfort. And God, if now is the time to act, if the time of waiting is done, would you move us, would you pour your spirit upon us and send us out to do what you are calling us to do? Would you help us to trust and to follow? Because God, we have our schedules. We have our understandings, but we know we know that your timing is perfect. So would you tell us what time it is? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.